0: Friends, a hole in the roof and forgiveness.
1: Grab your Bible and let's talk.
0: Welcome to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast, where Bible study and thought-provoking conversation lead to creative teaching. Now, here are your hosts, David and Mary Nelson. Today's episode is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And David, I'm going to tell you right away, I'm confronted with something I'd never thought about. It says that Jesus was home. He's in Capernaum. It's like he has a hometown. Now, I never thought about Jesus that way.
1: Yeah, we normally don't get that, dude, because in the Gospels, he's always traveling here and there. But you're right. He does have a hometown. And Capernaum was located on the northwest shore of Lake Galilee. It was a, a village of about 1,500 to 2,000, so it wasn't real small, nor was it really big. Uh, fishing was a main industry there. If you were a merchant, that was a place to live. It's because it was a crossroads town. I mean, people were coming and going all the time through Capernaum. Uh, the Roman soldier station there, it was an administrative center. And because of its location on a busy trade route, it was a customs or a tax station as well. So it was a happening place. There were people always coming and going. So it kind of makes sense that Jesus would make his sort of base of operations there in
0: Capernaum. So he grew up in Nazareth, but here he is in Capernaum. Right. Not only is it in Capernaum, it zeroes in in one location. We have a house. I mean, we're sitting here in our house, and I think it would look quite different from a house in those times. Houses
1: in the days of Jesus, for most people, were generally small. One room, two rooms, uh, they were made out of mud brick, you know, clay. It had a stone foundation, probably. A minimum of wood was used in the roof structure because wood was expensive. They generally had flat roofs, and you would get up to the roof by exterior stairs along one side of the house. On another side, there would be an awning of woven goat's hair, and that would protect against the sun, and that would also function as an additional room. So even though there were just like two rooms, they had everything a family needed.
0: So in this lesson, Jesus is in that house speaking, there are people gathered around, maybe some could even hear him through those windows, but some people really wanted to get to Jesus, but they could Hmm. not.
1: You know, one of the things being a small house, we're probably n- to imagine not over 30 people crowded inside the house, but there was a large crowd outside as well. So yeah, there were some people that really wanted to get to Jesus, and it was just too crowded.
0: So in particular, in this passage, we're talking about a man, later we learn he's a young man, and he could not walk. He was paralyzed. We don't know why or how or, or what all that meant, but... I'm trying to think about what it would have been like to have these challenges in a time like that. I mean, it's challenging today in our modern world. We have ramps, we have elevators, we have all sorts of things to help people. We have wheelchairs. But boy, not to have any of those things would have been very difficult. So I can imagine why these friends of this young man would want him To be around Jesus, because there was word out that Jesus could help people.
1: Yeah, and it's great to have good friends. Oh,
0: isn't it? This young man, because he could not walk, it appears he had a mat, and there were four friends, so in my mind, I'm seeing four corners to that mat that maybe that's how they carried him around.
1: And in this story, it doesn't say, maybe it implies that the man wanted to see Jesus, but these friends wanted this man to see Jesus. And they were thinking, how could they get to Jesus? They'll go up the stairs, and they'll dig a hole through the roof and let this man down. Who would have thought?
0: They found a way. They found a way. (laughs) And I think that's what good friends do. Sometimes they push us beyond, we might give up. But it's like, no, we're going to do this for you. And I love that about these four men. Jesus later talks about their faith. I mean, they had faith, they had friendship, all those important things to try to find an answer.
1: Yeah, we need friends like this that will help us in our time of need, will move us toward Jesus. One thing I noticed makes the story very interesting. Jesus was teaching in this house and the friends and the man were on the roof, they dug through. I can imagine debris falling as Jesus is teaching, and maybe distracting some of the crowd inside the house, watching a hole open up in the roof, and this all of a sudden this man is let down and it says in verse five it says, "Jesus saw that these men had great faith, so he sees the faith of these friends, but he speaks to the paralyzed man, and he says, "Young man, your sins are forgiven." Jesus sees the faith of these men." It, doesn't mention anything about the faith of this paralyzed man, but he focuses on the paralyzed man and forgives this man's sins. That was amazing.
0: You know what else is amazing is, was that what was on their mind? These were friends that had faith? I mean, were they concerned with the man's sins, or were they concerned with his disability, or both? Because from what I understand, those things, unlike today, really got mixed together, sin and some sort of physical problem.
1: It was a common belief then that if you had some physical problem, it was related to to sin in some way. It's kind of natural when reading this to notice that these two things are mentioned together. Jesus came to make people whole in every way, to bring wholeness into our world, into our lives, into our relationships. Here in this combination of disease and forgiveness that Jesus is bringing wholeness to this man in every way.
0: Yes, he healed him, but can you imagine if this young man had walked away that day happy that his body was whole and that he could walk, and yet he carried a sin problem away with him? I look at this and I think, Jesus did take care of him wholly, completely, not just on the outside, but also the inside. What a wonderful thing. Jesus always knows everything we need.
1: And this is all great. We're seeing this as wonderful, but there were people there that actually, they didn't like what was going on and were introduced to some more characters in the story.
0: Teachers of the law.
1: Teachers of the law were sitting there. And their focus was understanding the law of God and not only understanding for themselves, but being obedient to the law and teaching others to be obedient to the law. That was very, very important. And there was Actually, there's nothing wrong with that, but they saw themselves as those who had authority to teach the law, to know God's law, and to explain it to others.
0: They were the experts. They were
1: the experts.
0: And here comes Jesus, popular, everybody wanting to come and listen to him. That must have been threatening in some way to them.
1: Yeah, not just what they saw Jesus doing, but what he was saying, because they respond by saying, why does this man say things like this? You know, your sins are forgiven.
0: And that's a big thing anyway, to say your sins are forgiven. I mean... I can't say to you, David, your sins are forgiven. That's God's place.
1: Yeah, and that's what they were saying. Only God can do this. And so, so this story here, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, introduces us to controversy and conflict in the ministry of Jesus. And this conflict, which emerges here, will intensify as the story goes on, as Jesus continues his ministry, and of course it will reach its climax in his arrest and crucifixion.
0: I want to just point out, though, what I've always found very fascinating is these, these men did not say anything. You know, Jesus started talking to them because he could understand their thoughts. They hadn't even spoken these words, but Jesus repeated their thoughts back to them. Like, why are you thinking these things? Now, that's shocking. If somebody said to me, why are you thinking this? And I had not even said it out loud.
1: Yeah, that's a good point to make. Jesus is the only one who speaks here until the very end of the story when the crowd responds. But they're thinking, and Jesus answers their thinking. Yeah. What? yeah.
0: How crazy is that?
1: What's on the line here is, who has the authority? Is it these teachers of the law, or is it Jesus? And so Jesus, his actions here actually establish his authority. See, the scribes claimed authority over the people because who they were. They knew God, they interpreted God's law, but they could neither heal nor forgive sins because that's God's prerogative. But Jesus does both. And so this sets him against these teachers of the law who claimed authority, but Jesus, he demonstrated authority.
0: He had healed this man spiritually. He forgave his sins. And he had cast doubt in the mind of these teachers. It's like, Oh, he's also reading my mind. But then he goes on to do something that maybe in their minds would be harder. He proves that he is powerful. He healed this man's physical problems as well. He told this young man to get up and walk, and he did.
1: It says, immediately, the paralyzed man stood up. He took his mat, and he walked out while everyone was watching him. And remember, Jesus is in a crowded house, and I can just imagine people kind of parting with their eyes wide open, their mouths wide open, as this man walked right past them. I wonder if anyone wanted to reach out and kind of touch this man, you know?
0: (laughs) And I wonder if he had to kind of push his friends out of the way, because they'd been holding that mat um, and carrying him around, and here he just takes it up and walks out. I just pause for a moment and think what that would be like if I was there. That would be incredible.
1: And incredible. And so the story ends at the last part of verse 12. The people, it says, were amazed, and they praised God, or they were in awe of God. We have never seen anything like this.
0: I love it that, you know, they, it doesn't say they were praising God. Jesus. It says they were praising God. Jesus did not perform these miracles for his own glory. Everything he did was pointing people towards God, and that's exactly what happened. They saw this as the power of God.
1: That's right. They heard what Jesus said to this man, they saw what he did, and they knew that only God could do this and that God was with Jesus. This is how I would outline the story. We have Crowded house in Capernaum. That's verse one and verse two, and then we have the the main story in verses three through the first part of verse twelve, where you have healing, and this dialogue interaction going on and controversy, and then at the very end, the latter part of verse twelve, we have the resolution of the conclusion of of the whole story, where where God is praised because of what. They had witnessed what they had seen.
0: Oh, that's great. I'm, I'm reading this, David, learning so much. And I have to tell you, my mind is just buzzing. I have so many things I think I could share with children as I teach them. This is such a lesson that is easy to grasp in one way. We can put ourselves in that picture. We can think of ourselves in a house. So this one, wow, I have a lot of things that you could do in teaching children.
1: So what are some things that you can do in teaching children?
0: Well, I think an obvious would be to construct a house. What does a house look like in Capernaum? And so maybe with a shoebox or something like that for the children to build their own house. But I'd need some good information on that. You've shared some different resources for learning about a house in Capernaum.
1: There's a couple of websites that, you can go to, and these will be made available in the show notes uh, to this lesson. There is an article by CNN that talks about a discovery of a first-century house in Nazareth that probably was the kind of house that Jesus grew up in, was probably the kind of house that existed in Capernaum. and It's a brief article, but you might find that interesting. You might find that insightful, and there's also another web link that talks about houses in general in the first century.
0: So there some illustrations in those articles so I could show the children?
1: Yes, there's some pictures, yeah, in the articles.
0: So building that house, I think, would be a lot of fun. We could even cut a hole in it and the children could play like they're looking down into that house and what it might have been like. Even older children enjoy that. I would say even adults would enjoy looking at those illustrations that you're talking about and hearing what a home would be like in those times.
1: I think they would, too.
0: And you would do that maybe on a PowerPoint or just if you're in a classroom sort of situation, you could show that on the screen.
1: And in a classroom situation, PowerPoints are always good. In fact, I almost always use PowerPoints when I teach. My primary mode of learning is visual. A lot of people, that's their way. We all learn by what we see. PowerPoints are good. Now, just remember, if you use PowerPoints, pictures are good. Um, there's some artwork that's available. You have to check, make sure you don't violate copyright. That can be used to talk about the story. When you use PowerPoint, use a minimum of text. And if you use text, just bullet points will do. You don't have to write a whole lot in PowerPoint. So use a minimum of text.
0: So we're talking about the house, but also, I think I would like the children. Children love games. Now we love doing in children's Bible class. So we might, if I have enough children in space, I think I'd like to have a relay race. We could have one child on the blanket and the other four carrying that child and have a relay race back and forth.
1: Ooh, that sounds tiring.
0: We talk about the house. We talk about what it meant to be carried around. friends, but also I think I want to just talk about those friends, what good friends they were. To a child, friendship is very important. These are often the people you play with, the people you spend time with. I want children to think about friends in another way, too. Are the friends I have friends that will help me get to Jesus are they friends that will point me towards Jesus? Or are they friends that will take me away from my Christian life? I think that's a skill that children need to understand, a very important concept. I mean, there's some scriptures about that. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, a friend loves you all the time. A brother is always there to help you. Friends help each other. And so that could be in a physical sense. That could be... That could be fun, but it's also in a spiritual sense. We need friends that will help us. Parents want us to have friends that will help us. That's the kind of friends that everyone wants for a child.
1: And that's the kind of friends that we need as adults, too. So true. We need friends of faith that will encourage us, help us in our walk with God. And so that's a reason why it's important to have friends in the church, in a community of faith that we can depend on and that can encourage us in our journey with God.
0: And that's the purpose of the church gathering together, isn't it? Hebrews 10.25 talks about not staying away from the assembly of the church because it's in that group that we find encouragement. That's part of being together is encouraging us. Some people think of that's just like a work, I have to go to church, but actually that community is so important to God that he says, don't stay away from it. You need it. You need to help each other.
1: That's right. We need good friends.
0: In adult classes, you do a lot of discussing and people like to share thoughts. What other things might you talk about in an adult Bible class?
1: Well, there are two questions here that I think relate to what we're talking about. The first question is, do you have friends as devoted as these friends were? A follow-up question is think of someone, think of a friend, who you want to introduce or bring to Jesus And then begin praying for this friend and looking for opportunities to introduce this friend to Jesus. In the class, if it goes on for a number of weeks, you can pray for these people, not necessarily by name, it just depends, but just pray for these people that you want to introduce to Jesus.
0: I like that because that's taking this lesson and not just thinking about ourselves and what it would be like to be healed, but it's saying, now I want to be one of those friends. I want to bring someone else to Jesus. I love that, David. And back to my glitter, David, in Bible class, when we talk about friends, from a child's perspective, there are things you could do, too. You could make friendship bracelets. You could do friendship painting, which is just drawing a line down the middle of a paper, and you one person colors on one side and the other on the other, and you produce a picture together. Just different things to talk about, friends. And I think this lesson today... Is one of those that is so practical. The idea of friends helping someone, about Jesus healing someone, those are easy to grasp even for a child. Right. For me, today's lesson from Mark chapter 2 is one that I immediately start thinking of ways to apply in Bible class. I want to take these things. I hope. What you've heard today, as David and I study together, I hope these things will spark your imagination and your desire to take these very real concepts and help apply them to children you're teaching.
1: And may God bless you as you continue to speak into the lives of children.
0: Thank you for listening to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast. Subscribe now to listen to new weekly episodes and visit missionbibleclass.org for more free resources to help you share God's Word with children.